morning. It is good to see each of you, and if you are visiting with us, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It is good to have Ray and Lynn. Those of us that have not been on the mission field with you have heard many good things about you, and we appreciate all that you do. How would you describe relationships? There are several words that individuals would use to describe relationships. Some of those might be, if you were describing a healthy relationship, non-threatening, Trusting, respectful, supportive, honest, responsible. Many would want to say happy. As you describe satisfying, fulfilling relationships, would you ever use the word holy? I want to challenge you this morning to think about one of probably the most important characteristics of healthy relationships that is the least often spoken about. Friends, if you and I want a healthy relationship with our spouse, or if you're dating and you want a healthy relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend, or if you want a healthy relationship with a child or with a parent or with a co-worker or with a neighbor, friends, you can't omit holiness and still have the healthy relationship that God has designed for us to have. If you would be turning your Bibles to 1 Peter, the first chapter. 1 Peter, the first chapter, we have a very high calling. 1 Peter 1, and this is on page 1076, if you're following along in the Bibles that are in the racks there of the pews. 1076, notice our calling as we begin in the middle of this sentence. Verse 13 has urged us to be obedient. Verse 14 has urged us not to follow a former lust and disobedience. And so 15 is placed in these words. But as he, talking about God, as he is holy, who called, or as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So imagine, if you will, we have God supreme up high, and He is holy. And He is calling you and I to a higher standard of living. We can choose, as the previous verses talked about, disobedience and lust. And the word lust means sinful desire. And so we can choose to live our life based on our desire. I'm going to participate in this relationship the way I want to participate in this relationship. I'm going to react the way I want to react. I'm going to be driven by my own feelings, emotions, and desires. We can choose that. But friends, that is a lower level of living that never reaches fulfillment and satisfaction that God has designed. God has said, I'm holy. I want you to be holy. And notice there, he says, in all your conduct. So we have to decide now, in my life, will I raise my standard of living so that I will imitate God instead of imitating others or imitating even what my own nature would be. Now, as we think about this, I'd like to tie in one more thing that Peter said to us. Go over you now to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, the first chapter, picking up again in the middle of a sentence, but I'd like for you to notice here as we read verse 4, note the divine nature that comes from God being offered to us. He says, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers. Notice that. We may be partakers. We're going to partake. We're going to share in. We're going to have communion with God in this. 
Well, what is it that we are partakers? Of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I don't want this unsatisfied, this unfulfilling relationships. I want to escape this. And the Lord says, I can help you escape that. You can partake. Remember, God is holy. We can partake of Him. And if we share and have communion with His nature, now we become holy in all of our conduct. Friends, next week we'll continue this thinking about relationships and then later on in March or April we'll probably do at least a couple more lessons as we think about a holy people. God has called you and I to be a holy people. As we think about this holiness, I'd like for you to realize that we sometimes probably spend too much time thinking about whether or not we're the right one instead of thinking about whether or not we are the right kind. If we want to be the right one, it begins by being the right kind. And what's the right kind? The right kind is a holy person. That just as God is holy, we too want to be holy. Just as God is holy, now we want to escape the corruption of this world. And we want to be partakers of His holiness. How does that change lives? We've just had read for us a beautiful passage that reminds us of Abraham. Reminds us that he wanted something great for his child. Isaac had been born and he wanted his son to be a partaker of holiness even in the family that he would form by choosing a wife. Dear Tony, I've been unable to sleep since I broke off your engagement to my daughter. Will you forgive and forget? I was much too sensitive about your mohawk tattoo and pierced nose. I now realize that motorcycles aren't really that dangerous. I really should have not reacted the way to the fact that you've never held a job. I'm sure that there are some very nice people that live under the bridge in the park. Sure, my daughter's only 18 and wants to marry you instead of going uh, to college on a full scholarship. After all, you can't learn everything about life from books. I sometimes forget how backward I can be. I was wrong and I was foolish and I have now come to my senses and you have my full blessings to marry my daughter. Sincerely, hopefully, your future father-in-law. P.S. Congratulations on winning this week's Super Lottery. What is your standard of forming relationships? What is your standard of hopes and prayers of the relationships that your children will form? What's your standard over the relationships that you will form? We cannot live someone else's life. And every relationship, the only thing we can control is ourself. It's beautiful to see that as Abraham wanted the right wife, he made sure that he would find the right kind of wife so that his son would be blessed with a godly home. As we look to our text in Genesis, the 24th chapter, I'd like for you to notice verse 1 and 2. As we see verse 1, we see that Abraham was old at this point. And before the text this morning, if we took the time to look back at at Genesis, the 23rd chapter, we would find out that Abraham's wife, that of course he loved dearly, Sarah, had passed away. 
You know, there are intersections in life. There are times where events occur that kind of stop our life for a few moments. Sometimes they're very good things and sometimes they're very difficult things. But oftentimes, once we pass through that intersection, we look back and we say life has not been the same since then. Can you imagine Abraham and Sarah? They were traveling through life, but then Sarah's life ends. Abraham finds himself at an intersection, and isn't it interesting that at that intersection, he begins to evaluate families. I wonder what kind of family my son Isaac is going to have. I wonder what kind of wife my son Isaac will have. Perhaps he was reflecting on the great blessing that Sarah, a godly woman, was in his home and in his life and in his faith. And so he reflects on that, and he immediately makes something a very high priority. We know that it was a high priority because he doesn't leave this task to just any servant that he would have had. He doesn't choose maybe a younger servant that had a lot of energy. He wants the older servant, the one that he's always trusted, the one that knows him, the one that knows his family. He wants the servant that is wise, And he goes to this oldest servant. And even though it may seem strange to you and I today for a hand to be placed under a thigh, that was the highest oath that could be given that you will keep what I have asked you to keep. And he describes what he wants him to do to help him find the right kind of woman for his son. Once an individual has decided to follow God, to live a life of holiness, probably the second most important decision that individual will make if they decide to marry will be who they will marry. As parents, if we have children that are not married, we need to ask ourselves, how high priority have we placed in our lives and in the lives of our children, that they too would marry godly spouses. How active are we in prayer about that? How often do we talk to our children about that? How often do we make plans and goals and dreams in life with that at the very heart of why we do what we do? Friends, I'm afraid that too oftentimes individuals that marry the wrong spouse and they find out they have a spouse that's not really good for much in their life, they got exactly what they prayed about, they got exactly what they planned for because they did very little planning and very little praying and they got very little in a spouse. When we look in the scriptures, God's people placed a high priority on who they would live their life with. And here we see the great father Abraham that places a high priority on this. Notice, if you will, how he went to the right place and sending his servant to the right place. You see there in the 24th chapter, verse 3 and 4, at the end of 3, he says, You'll not take a wife. He's still giving orders here to his servant. You'll not take a wife for my son, whom the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country. It is so important for our youth to recognize that they need to go to the right place to find a godly spouse. 
I think about the time that I was on the phone talking to a man who was crying as his wife had moved out of their apartment. And so therefore, as he was on the phone, he was loading his truck. And he was crying and he was talking about how he never planned on his, his family life to go in this direction. How ever since he was a little boy, he always dreamed of, of marrying a woman and that they would be together for all their life and they would have children together. And he's crying and he's describing this and he just can't believe that his earth is shattered like this. And he's talking about how hard it is and how he'll probably never love another woman again. Perhaps I was a little too bold. But after a few transitional sentences, I said to him, you know, you probably will love another woman again. I want you to tell me one more time, where did you meet your first wife? And he named the club that he met her in. I said, if you want a different family, you might ought to go to a different place to find your second wife. Friends, we are fools when we think we can go into Satan's environment to find a godly spouse. I want you to think again where this lesson began of a holy people. We're not just talking about physical locations when we say, where should people go to find a holy spouse? Friends, it's not a physical building somewhere. It is the difference in kingdoms. Are we going to go to the kingdom of Satan in the world? Are we going to go to those individuals that have said, I'm leaving that. I've been in the corruption of sin. I've lived a life where I live by my own desires. But now I recognize there's an almighty God who is holy, who has called me to be holy. And now I am partakers. I am sharing in his holiness. Now I've moved. I live at a different location. Now I live in the kingdom of God. Now I no longer do what I want. Now I do what God wants. And friends, when we find individuals who live there, we have then gone to the right place to find a godly spouse. Parents, if we want our children to find a fulfilling and satisfying relationship, we must teach them, urge them, and pray for them to not, select dates and spouses from those who live here, but instead those who live in holiness with God. Friends, I hope you're seeing the picture that this morning, if in my life I'm living here, I'm in trouble myself, but I'm also going to trouble every relationship that I'm involved in. But if I will live my life partaking in the holiness of God, the beauty is now I reflect God in my relationships. I haven't become just a mirror to do what everybody else is doing, but I do according to God's will. And what a blessing that is. Look with me, if you will, verse 12. As we look at verse 12, we see prayer. Did you notice that whenever this servant took this very sober task. As a matter of fact, we see him even questioning. He realizes how difficult this might be. And he even says, what if she won't return? He, he's nervous. What if I fail at this? It was such a high priority. 
He did go to the right place, but he was feeling the weight of responsibility of this. I'm afraid that I might have gone into that area and I might have had a a 50-question survey and I might have started going door to door and saying, do you have any single young ladies? I'd like to interview them. I'd like to interview the family. Isn't it interesting the faith that he had as he turned it over to God in verse 12 and he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. I would trust that every holy single person here has already prayed this prayer and hopefully daily that God would grant you success in giving you a holy spouse. Surely every parent here prays on a regular basis that God would grant their children success in finding a holy spouse. Isn't it interesting to think about that there's no one that wants a holy Christian family more than God? So if you're single, God wants you to find that holy person more than you do. Here's the Almighty God that can open doors, open opportunities, that can introduce people. Isn't it awesome to think that if we wait upon God, we're never ready to be married until we're first ready to be holy and single. And only then are we capable of having the godly relationship with another that God has designed. Grant me success this day. God wants us to pray for things and long for things that would glorify Him. And that's what a Christian home does. A Christian home glorifies God. Beyond the text that was read this morning, I'd like for us to just scan a few things as we think about we must work on ourselves. We can't live someone else's life. And many of us here are already married. And so as we close this lesson this morning and just think about a few things, I want you to think about we must work on ourselves. And with that in mind, I ask you the question, are you holy? You see, as we think about relationships, you say, well, I wish my marriage was different. You're the only one you can change in your marriage. Well, I I wish my relationship with my children, I wish it was different. You're the only one that you can change in the relationship between your children. Or if you're saying, I wish my relationship with my parents was different. You're the only one that you can change in that relationship. A co-worker, a neighbor, you're the only one that you can change. And so as I think about, am I holy? Have I decided to leave the kingdom of the world, which is Satan's? And have I decided to be a partaker, to share in the righteousness that God has to offer. As we think about that, I'd like for you to notice, if you still have your Bibles open there, to Genesis, the 24th chapter. He goes and he waits, and he he sees in 15 this woman that he was waiting for God to show him. And so she is out watering or gathering water for her family. And notice as we read verse 15, and it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. 
What was she doing there? She had left her home. She had taken her picture. She had gone down to the well. She was getting water for her family. Friends, a simple application that I need to realize today that one of the characteristics of holiness is an individual that will serve their family. What is at the very heart of Christianity? Unselfishness. What does unselfishness provoke us to do? It provokes us to serve others. Selfishness says, I'm all about me. I serve me, and I'd like for you to serve me. Unselfishness says, I'm not about me. I'm about God. I'm about others. What can I do to serve you? Young ladies and young men, if you're dating a guy or a girl, you watch and see how they serve their family. And if they don't think they should lift a finger, if they don't care what their family's interest is, if they don't care what their family's needs are at a moment, and they feel no obligation to serve them, keep in mind that when you say, I do, you've become their family, and that's the way they treat you too. How does he treat his mama? What does he do around the house that he grew up in? That's what he's going to do in the house that he marries into also. So when we think about the servant's heart that simply says this, because of my God, partakers of holiness, because of my God, I value you. I want to serve you. But notice how he went the extra mile with this service. He also, or she did, but she also served God. And we see this implied here in Genesis, the 24th chapter, in verse 16. The young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her picture, and came up. If you would be turning to 1 Thessalonians, the 4th chapter, I'd like for us to scan some verses 3 through 8. 1 Thessalonians, the 4th chapter, as we think about no man knew her. In other words, she had possessed her body in a holy fashion. She was righteous in her relationship with God in the way that she conducted her life physically and sexually. When we see this plea from 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, notice as we begin in verse 3, for this is the will of God. Remember, we're talking about being partakers of His holiness. We're not going to live this kind of life because it's our will by nature. We're going to live this life because it's the will of God. Your sanctification, the word sanctification means in part holiness. So we're talking about holiness here. That you should be, that should abstain from sexual immorality. Now he talks about the body in this way in verse 4. That each one should now... Uh, should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification. And that word is translated almost as many times in the New Testament as holy as it is with sanctification here. So he's saying, I want you to possess your body in holiness. Now notice this, and honor. In other words, possess your body in such a way that God would place a value on it. How does God or other godly people place a value on a person and their body? Well, whether or not they're giving it over to lust, whether or not they are living that body in a holy fashion. I'm going to try to say this correctly. I'm not trying to judge hearts. I'm not trying to judge motives. We're talking about actions here. There is something wrong with a young man who looks at a girl who is sexually immoral and he looks over here at a Christian girl who is pure and he says, it really doesn't matter to me which one I date. That young man has been bought 
and enslaved to the thought process of the world. Any young person who is a partaker of holiness, all they have to hear is that someone is a fornicator and they immediately know the place that person lives and they say, I don't date people from that place. I'm looking for something else, someone else to share my life with. I want to share my life with someone who is a partaker of holiness just as I'm striving to be a partaker of holiness. As we read on, he talks about not being like the Gentiles or could probably be better transferred to heathens in verse 5 that are driven by the passion of the lust. But I'd like for us to drop down to verse 7. For God did not call us to uncleanliness, but in holiness. God called us to leave the unclean and the unholy and to live a clean and a holy life. That's where great relationships are formed. That's when you and I are living up to the potential in our relationships is when we say, that's where I want to live. I want to serve others because that's what people do who who partake in the holiness of God. I want to serve God. God has given me this vessel. He's given me this body. I want to conduct it in such a way that serves God. But then finally this morning, I'd like for you to notice as, as we skip down to verse 18, Uh, Notice in in 18, she also uh, served him. Not only her family, not only God, but she served the master, uh, the the servant here of of the master Abraham. Notice what, she came along in 17 and he asked for a drink of water. Now notice what she does in 18, she gave him the drink, but not only that, she goes the second mile, which was a huge second mile. She said in 19, I'll draw water from your camels also until they have finished drinking. And she went back and she did it. Remember, he had 10 camels. You see her servant's heart? Friends, the scriptures already have told us that physically she was a beautiful young lady. But now the scriptures is telling us that internally, in the area of faith, and a servant's heart. She was just as beautiful. Here's a young woman that was out serving her family. That's why she was at the well. Here's a young woman that had protected her vessel that God had given her. She was serving God. Here's a young woman that when a stranger says, can I have a drink of water? Tomorrow, when a stranger asks something of you, would you look anything like her that says, oh, bring this picture down. There's you some water in Oh, are those your 10 camels? How long does it take? How much work does it take to water 10 camels? But you see, she was a servant. She had a servant's heart. In my relationships, if I'm going to be a holy people, I have to realize to serve my family, to use my vessel to serve God, and to be willing to serve others. All of that is at the heart of service and of being holy. We close by reading verse 48 of this same chapter. You may know the story how he goes back to her home and and everything works out that she is going to become the wife of Isaac. And this is the response of the servant. 48. 
I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God and my master Abraham who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. I want to ask me and you ask you. Can anybody and everybody that I share a relationship with, family, co-workers, friends at school, would I live such a life in that relationship that they would be prompted to worship God? Rebecca had lived such a life that whenever she said, I'll become Isaac's wife, the servant said, I want to worship God. Will you ever be the answer to someone's prayer who has been praying for a godly spouse so that they say, I want to worship God? That prayer's been answered. And notice the last part of that verse. The way of truth. Are we the way of truth in our relationships? Are we the bad news in our relationships? Friends, it's not so much about you and I being the right one. It's about you and I being the right kind. A holy people. People that are first and foremost committed to be a partaker of God's holiness. And we practice that in every relationship we share. This morning, do you share in that relationship with God? Have you moved from here to communion with Him? If you need forgiveness of past sins, are you a believer that Jesus Christ is a Son of God? And are you willing to repent and turn away from those sins? Are you ashamed... Hopefully not. Are you willing to confess before men that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Won't you be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins and rise out of that water to be a partaker of His holiness? Maybe you have done that, but yet sometimes since then you've lost the way and you feel like and maybe you have moved back more to this camp and you want to leave that this morning and go back to communion with God. It's about our own soul, but it's also about every relationship that we share in. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.